We're going to talk about something today that probably 90% of you think you are not. However, I bet you every single one of you struggle with this. Let's go. It's Made for This Podcast. I'm Jenny Allen. You guys, I want to meet you. I'm coming to your cities with Jefferson Bethke and Davey Flowers. Get your tickets. We are coming on the road with our kids. It's going to be incredible. Do not miss it. We're going to talk about what it looks like to live more free and all these places that we get stuck in our brain and our lives. And I'm telling you, it is going to be an incredible life-changing night. So get your tickets while they still last. And you can go get them at getoutofyourheadtour.com. We are diving into the different enemies that attack our mind. And today we're going to talk about one that I see everywhere. And the tricky one with this is it's actually valued by most of us. It's not something we typically fight because I think it's something that we respect in people. It's something we think is really helpful in life. And it's called cynicism. And I see it everywhere. So I don't know if you even notice it in yourself. So I wanted to read a few questions because Honestly, I think we've all become cynical, but it's kind of the air we breathe, so we don't even notice it. I want to ask you a few questions that would kind of be a good self-diagnostic tool to see if you are cynical. So do you get annoyed when people are optimistic? So I want you to answer these. If you can, jot them down. If you're sitting somewhere, if you can't, just answer them in your head. Do you get annoyed when people are optimistic? When someone is nice to you, do you wonder what that person wants? Do you constantly feel misunderstood? When things are going well, are you waiting for the bottom to fall out? Do you quickly notice people's flaws or faults? Do you worry about getting taken advantage of? Are you guarded when you meet someone new? Do you wonder sometimes why people just can't get it together? Are you sarcastic? (laughs) I asked these questions to my team and they all started out. The reason I actually wrote those questions was because they all started out like, yeah, I struggle with all these enemies. I know all these enemies that you wrote about except for cynicism. I don't think I'm very cynical. So I thought, I bet they are. I know they are. So I wrote these questions and then I made them answer them and they all were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was so cynical. So <laughs> I don't know how you feel right now, but I think a lot of us relate to those questions and struggle with these things. Cynicism is an especially powerful tool from the enemy because when you and I are struck by it, we don't see our need to be helped. We get arrogant and we separate ourselves from getting help, from needing people. We think we know more than everybody else. I want to talk about what cynicism is. Cynicism is this idea that we're looking for the bad to keep the bad from hurting us. It's protection. It's making sure that we're not getting taken advantage of, making sure that somebody's not using us. And in a world where people can be really hurtful, cynicism can sometimes be helpful. So we start to prize it. We start to feel educated, like we're not naive. I want to tell you a story about my team. My team is so amazing. They love God and they have given their lives to help build If Gathering and to take discipleship to this generation in a way that's accessible. I love them so much. And they're great friends, all of them. And when I think about them, they're not notably cynical for crying out loud. They they moved to Dallas, a lot of them, to serve God and to be a part of this ministry. They, they're so surrendered and they're constantly obedient. But we were sitting around dinner 
when I was working on this book and this project. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story I wrote in the book originally and the editor took it out. <laughs> so here's some exclusive content that got cut. And it was because um, it was about Tony Robbins that in the midst of all this, I was listening and watching a lot of Tony Robbins. Well, Tony Robbins has made some bad decisions recently. And so we decided to scrap this part. But I want to tell it because I think it helps set the stage for cynicism. And a lot of what Tony was talking about, I was relating to. Now, I don't buy his method, but I do think some of his strategies are helpful. So what Tony Robbins does is he really talks about you choose in your mind what you think about. And the choice you make will determine how happy you are in life. And so I had been watching this documentary about Tony Robbins and I was telling my whole table and my team about it. And one of the girls there was like, I don't like this. I don't feel good about this because if I just choose to see the good in things and I just choose to think positively, I'm gonna get taken advantage of. And one of the girls that was there, she doesn't work for us any longer, but she is just delightful. Literally, the girl has blonde hair, is just like little sunshine on a stick. Like she just is happy, smiley all the time, positive about everything. Even her voice is like sweet as syrup. Like she is just so sweet and kind. And and so she's sitting next to me and I looked at Elizabeth and I said, Elizabeth, you tell me what you think about that. Because she is that. She models it. She walks around with joy in her heart every minute of every day. She sees the best in everybody. Some people would think of it as naive. And she said, so what? So what if I get taken advantage of? I'm happier. (laughs) I was like, that's so brilliant. Like we're choosing. It's our mind, y'all. We're not talking about our circumstances. We're talking about the thing we live with day in and day out, day in and day out. And if it's conditioned and constantly looking for the negative, it will find the negative. It will find the negative in our family members. It will find the negative in our friendships. It will find the negative in our circumstances, in our jobs, in our callings. It will find the negative in everything if we let it. And so this idea of cynicism has actually, I feel like it's this slow leak. Like right now, my tire, every time I get in the car, it's going down and it's taking like weeks to get to where it's a dangerous level. But like I've noticed there's a slow leak and it's extra slow, but it keeps alerting me like it's getting lower and lower and lower. And that's exactly what cynicism is. It's a slow leak of joy in our lives because if we fixate on negative, then we are not ever going to be happy. And that's what Tony Robbins talks about is he always is talking about, do you want to be happy? It doesn't matter. You know, like, and, and I know as Christians, we've got a lot bigger goals than happiness, right? Like that's not our ultimate goal. But at the end of the day, what we think about and, and the joy that inhabits our mind and our hearts is and should be a goal of Christianity. Who wants to follow after people that are following after God that doesn't issue joy? You know, I mean, I, I, I don't want that. We have a God that issues ultimate joy, like ultimate hope, ultimate peace, peace that surpasses understanding, Scripture tells us. So, so we should be reflecting those things if we actually believe this and if we're actually following God. And yet what cynicism does is it makes us question all of our authorities so we never submit. It makes us question all of our institutions so we never participate. It makes us question all of our friendships so we never connect. It makes us question our family members so we never ever feel safe. I mean, it will erode our confidence and our joy in all of the gifts that God's given us to help us follow him, to help us grow up in the faith, to help us live out full and abundant and obedient lives. So how do we change this? Well, one, I think we've got to be careful what we're feeding our souls. And for me, really candidly, 
I had to get off Twitter. I, if you go there right now, you will see one tweet that I've written like in the last six months because even though I'm sure that's a mechanism that could grow my platform, it was not feeding my soul. And I just decided, you know what? I'm not closing my account yet, but I'm never going there. And I would say I go there maybe every few months just to check in, see what's happening with friends because some of my friends are only on Twitter. And then I'll also just browse through you know, messages and that kind of thing. But I don't participate on Twitter. And the reason why is because it always made me cynical. Every time I got off Twitter, I doubted every single thing about God, everything about church, everything about the hope for humanity. It just felt like everything there is believing the worst in everything. And I wanted to believe the best. And I didn't know how to fight for that when that was the constant input of my life. So I just left. Now, that is not to say I do not stay educated. Guys, I'm a political person. I was a poli-sci minor in college. Like, I care about politics. I just don't think they're the ultimate hope. So I don't over-engage there. But I care. So I stay up to date. I subscribe to something called Skim, which is just a little news bits. And when something's really interesting, I'll go read more about it. If there's a war that's brewing that I want to know more about, I'll go read more about it. But I don't sit there and consume my news from angry people on Twitter. Next was, you know, we moved to Dallas and I decided I'm going to be really careful about who are my friends. I'm just going to choose the people that are going to input into my life, not the people I love, because we need to be loving people that are not healthy and that need us, you know. But I'm talking about the people that are going to be in my ear every day that are really close to me. I'm going to make sure that they are positive people. I know this sounds so cheesy, but I needed people that were life-giving, people that saw the good in the world and saw the good in me and saw the good in, now not naively so, but I want to speak to the naivety issue because I think sometimes we can just see positive people and assume they're naive. When I think of my friend Elizabeth, she has actually been through a lot. When you hear her story, you're like, gosh, you have been through a lot. So she's not naive to suffering. She's not naive to disappointment. She's not naive to people hurting her. She just has chosen a better way. And she you know, she's selfish about it. She's like, I mean, it's just a better way to live. I don't enjoy being negative about everyone all the time. I don't want to live that way. And I think that's what we've got to do is we need to get a little bit selfish and zealous for ourselves and our minds and saying, you know what? This is not leading to life and peace for me. And I don't know what it, what your Twitter is or what your thing is that, that just is not leading to life and peace, but you need to notice it in yourself. Like, gosh, this is causing a cynical spirit in me towards people. And that could be gossipy friends. That could be friends that are always complaining about their husbands. That could be friends that are always complaining about their job. It could be coworkers. And I'm not saying you never spend time with them, but you guard your mind and you don't spend all your time with them. And when you're spending time with them, you have a plan of attack. I do this with my kids when they go through seasons where their friends are making bad choices with their words and like gossiping all the time. I'm like, you don't need to cut off your friends and not have them anymore necessarily because that's, you know, certain years of our lives. Gossip is just part of it. But how do we turn the conversation? How do we bring life and peace into a conversation? And you you have those little sound bites that turn the conversation around. And so I think we've just got to be light in dark places, but we also need places that are full of light and that bring energy and life and joy into us. So then the question is, if I'm already cynical, how do I fight this? What does it look like? And I'm going to tell you, this one took me on a journey. It didn't end up in an obvious place. This one for me was when I thought back to what has interrupted my cynicism, I saw a theme and that theme was delight, that I get less cynical when I see delight. So let me give you an example. I am sitting with Kurt Thompson, and we've had Kurt Thompson on it. You probably are familiar with him from the podcast. And Kurt Thompson wanted to talk about all our feelings. And honestly, I went in very cynical. 
I wanted to be with my friends and I wanted to eat queso and I wanted to have fun and I didn't want to deal with my feelings. And I have done that in different seasons of my life. I just wasn't in the mood. I wanted to see my friends and have fun. And he was there, you know, as our like, take us deeper. I don't know, something. Jessica Honiger's big idea. So we're sitting there and he's like, keeps asking us really intentional questions. And my arms are crossed and I'm just like, Kurt, leave me alone. You know, I don't say that, but I'm like giving that, you know, feeling to him. And of course, you know, he keeps asking me questions. And one of the things he talks about in our time together was how art is so powerful, how it it can cut through cynicism. He doesn't use that word, but just through our defenses, through our guardedness, which is what I had big time. And he says that multiple times. And he even tells a story about it. Like he was sitting there looking at a painting and it looked brown to him at first, but he sat there and saw all these colors in it. And all of a sudden he felt like the painting was looking back at him and he could see himself in it. And I literally made fun of him. I was like, and that's why you don't look at paintings too long. Like, this is weird. And I said it all. I mean, I was a jerk. Like I was J-E-R-K. I can't believe we're still friends. I'm not always a jerk like that, but I was very, I just came in cynical. And so very end of the retreat, And we're about to leave. And I have just, I've literally not shared anything. I've been guarded the whole time. And candidly, I'm like, you know what? I've been through a lot. It's not like I'm not in touch with what I've been going through in my life. I just feel like I've already dealt with it. That was kind of my attitude. And at the end of it, one of my friends, Micah May, read a poem, actually recited it. She knew it by heart. And it was a poem about her Down syndrome child. And something about it like hit something so deep in me. And I started weeping and of course Kurt is so pleased and after the poem is over like turns the whole room to me and it's like Jenny what are you feeling which he'd asked me a hundred times over the weekend and I'm so and at that point I can't even breathe like I have snot coming down my out my nose like I'm just I'm a wreck and I'm like I just I relate so much and of course what pierced my heart when deep questions good friends when you know, we'd spent time in the Bible, we'd spent time in worship, none of that pierced my heart. Guess what pierced my heart? Art, (laughs) a poem. And the reason he says that art can pierce us and pass our guards is because we don't see it coming. It it is delightful. It hits something in us that, that our rational, reasonable self didn't see coming. And that's what happened to me. A song can do that to me. A beautiful play. I remember the first time I saw a Broadway play and I wrote about that in the book. It it pierces you. It just, it takes you out. It, it, it touches something in you that common sense and reasonableness and truth can sometimes miss. Beauty is God's evidence of something far more wonderful that's coming. It's this hope. It, it paints a picture of a world that is beyond the one that we live in now, a, a world that is coming. That's what beauty does. It reminds us there's something coming that's bigger and better and more beautiful than what we live in right now. Evidence that there's a creator who is loving and profoundly delightful. And so when we see beauty, we find ourselves delighted. We find ourselves enjoying God again. We find ourselves, our hearts tender. That's how I feel in worship so often is that I'll be worshiping and all of a sudden I'm in tears, even though my heart was, has been hard for a week. I'll all of a sudden be crying before God because worship has just pierced something in me that that isn't rational, but it causes me to delight and enjoy God's delight over me. And so I want to talk about this because I don't think we value delight. I think we don't value a lot of these things that God's given us as weapons. And and we've talked about in the past about God delighting over us, but think of the ways God delights you. Like just look outside right now, out of your window, whether it's raining or snowing or leaves are falling or whatever it looks like right now, or it's bright and sunny, whatever it looks like outside, there's delight 
in God's creation. There's delight in the way he built seasons, the way he built you know, trees, the way he built a leaf. I remember looking at a leaf one time and, and I actually let, led a bunch of girls through a whole Bible study one time, just looking at leaves and realizing like, gosh, he, he made every leaf on earth differently. Like that should blow our minds. Like there is delight and power of God expressed to us daily through creation. There is delight over, have you ever seen a baby born? I mean, when you see a, a life brought into the world, there's something just so delightful. My little niece right now is probably the cutest human I have ever met. Like literally, I have the cutest human as a niece that I have. I know my own children are like, mom, what about us? Well, I'm sorry. She is the cutest baby I've ever met in my whole life. And I literally, when I'm with her, I'm, it's like a, I'm mesmerized. I can't even stand it. I, I like study every finger, every toe. I look at fingers and toes all the time, never think anything about it. But what about a baby like expresses something about God and his delight over us? And I think these are the things that God's given us to remind us like, hey, I'm safe. I'm trustworthy. I'm likable. And my world is good. And yes, there is sin in institutions sometimes. And yes, there is sin in people. And what cynicism says is, so never trust people. So never trust the church. So never trust God. And what delight says is there is good too. And there is trustworthy too. And there is redemption too. And what delight says is there's joy. And when we think about God, we can get in these places where, and my team and I were doing a little Devo on this recently, and they all shared this idea that that there's this guilt they feel when things go well for them. Like there's something about to happen that's bad. Something's gonna come that's bad. Again, there's no promise that it won't, but why is that our immediate thing when something good happens to us? Why is that our immediate thing when there's something joyful to celebrate rather than sitting in the joy, delighting in the gift, enjoying what God has given us as a good thing because he is good, because he gives good things, scripture says. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is true. God is doing that. And yes, some days... And some people in some situations will disappoint us. But I would rather live full of joy, believing the good and get burned every once in a while than constantly waiting to get burned and constantly seeing the negative. That is a sad way to live. And I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep believing good for our country. I'm going to keep believing good for my church. I'm going to keep believing good for my family. I'm going to keep believing good for this generation I'm going to believe good because I believe we rise to what we believe. <laughs> I believe we rise to that. I see this in my kids all the time. When I watch Cooper, when I speak life over my son, he will rise to that. The, this was yesterday morning. I'm, I'm sending him to school and I'm saying, buddy, you're a leader. You are a leader. Act like one today. And he came in and afterwards, after school, he's like, mom, it was a great day. It was a great day. He rose to that compliment. He rose to what I saw him as. And we've got to realize that how we think influences what we say and what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about the people around us. I know this is going to get a little kooky, but this is how much I believe this is true. I had a friend recently who didn't know if she was having a boy or girl. And she said, I just don't think I'll be a good mom if it's a girl. And I said, stop. Like, don't speak it. Don't say it. Like, don't speak negatively over your unborn child. Like, just just don't like don't give words and energy and thought and negative all that toxic stuff don't give it over your child don't think it don't 
say it. And I know some of us have just said it and thought it for way too long. And we can shift that today. Like we don't have to speak it. We don't have to think it. But guys, the place of interruption, it's not in our words. We don't need to try so hard to control our words. We need to control our thoughts. We don't even need to think it. We don't need to give it that much energy because our kids are picking up on it. Our friends are picking up on it. The people we are mentoring and leading and discipling, they're picking up on it. And if we can start to speak life over them, it's called being life-giving. <laughs> the opposite of cynical, it's life-giving. It's life-speaking. It's life-thinking. It's a different way to live, and the world is aching for it. When you live this way, yes, some people will think you're naive, but most people will just want to go to coffee because they need people that can speak truth and not just speak it, but actually believe it for them. We are so grateful for Pine Cove Summer Camps who have partnered with us this season. Pine Cove Camps is Christ-centered, others-focused, and seriously fun. You guys want to send your kids here. All the summer staff are college kids who are positive Christian role models and mentors, and they love Jesus. It's a safe place for your kids to go and grow in their faith. So if you use the code JENNY250, all one word, J-E-N-N-I-E 250, at pinecove.com slash youth camp, you can get $250 off a first-time overnight youth camp registration. So go have fun. Let us know if you sign your kid up. Okay, Jenny, as we're listening to you, I can think of a few things and instances that are maybe important that I would question or that I would be skeptical of. Things like issues of race and reconciliation or politics or even as I'm following faith leaders, like what's a healthy place for us to ask these questions and how can it be used constructively? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there we need to be wise. You know, I just think of the verse, wise as serpents and gentle as doves, that, that we would be discerning. You know, constantly scripture says, be sober, be discerning. I'm not saying to not be discerning. That's not what I'm talking about. In the book, I define it this way. Cynicism is interpreting the world and God based on hurt you've experienced and the wounds that still lie gaping open. So when you think of cynicism, it's like hurt that's built up and all of a sudden you're putting that hurt on everyone and everything currently. So I am not saying don't be wise and discerning and and judge rightly, you know, about the world right now and speak into it. I mean, gosh, I hope that I, I, people would see me as an advocate. I, I know that Latasha Morrison sees me as an advocate for race. I know that other friends see me as an advocate for refugees and other, other friends see me as an advocate for adoption. So it's not that we never speak out about injustice by any means and that we don't rightly see the evil in the world. It's not that. It's that we aren't overcome by it. It's that we're not driven out of hurt primarily. We're driven out of obedience and even driven out of hope that things can change. When I think of my views about reconciliation, they are largely future focused. It's believing for my son, who's African-American, it's believing for my son a world that could exist that would be better than the one that's now. It's not that I don't soberly see where we are today. It's that I'm constantly moving forward and saying, God, redeem what is broken, heal what is hurting, like bring hope where there is hopelessness. You know, that it's a productive <laughs> moving forward. That's what I, I think God's called us to be. It's overcomers and reconcilers. It's not passive judgment givers, you know, and I think that's where cynicism gets us is it puts us on the sideline of what's happening in the world. It puts us on the sideline of other people's lives and our arms are crossed. And rather than working to action, we are judging motives 
that may or may not even be true. God constantly says, don't judge motives. I'm the only judge of motives. We barely are good at judging our own motives. So for us to, to assume the worst about people when we don't even know them, when we don't even know their motive or their heart or their thought, rather than let God be the judge and we're going to move to action where there's darkness. That That's who I want to be. That's who I hope I am. It is not someone that's paralyzed with cynicism and doubt about everybody being evil, but but believes, you know what, we can accomplish a lot of good because of God together. Is that helpful? Yeah. The line you said was, if you're in Christ, you can fight injustice done to you or others, not from a place of insecurity and outrage, but from a place of calm confidence that the battle has already been won. That's it. Yeah. That's my hope is that there's, there is, there's a peace uh, motivating our justice making, right? It's not without hope and it's not with anger. Now there is a time for righteous anger, but that time is largely driven still by action. Hebrews talks about spurring each other on toward love and good deeds. I mean, if that's what we're doing in our right judgment and sobriety about the world and about the problems of the world, then we're doing a good thing. But when we are constantly just judging it and tearing things down for the sake of tearing them down, I don't know what good that's doing. Again, there's a time for understanding. I remember being in my 20s and we were super cynical of church in general. We we were questioning everybody's motives. We were, you know, judging is this isn't how you do church and I can't believe we're a part of, you know, this unhealthy church and let's find a better church and I just remember having lots of negative conversations around church. Fast forward a decade, we start our own church and realize <laughs> this is how you jack up a church, <laughs> you know, and, and all of a sudden a humility fell on us that, that, you know what, we can go through life seeing every problem in every church, or we can just say, you know what, we're part of a sinful church and you should be too, you know, <laughs> and just accept that they're imperfect and do our best to help bring reconciliation to them where we can, but to not have higher expectations on them than God has on us. I mean, there's a, there's a beautiful grace in the way that God deals with us that we should definitely have with each other. And it's understanding of weakness and frailty and and still not giving up on it, right? Like n- leading into it and serving in the nursery for crying out loud. And yes, if you're imperfect church, you're one where your hands are folded and you shouldn't even, you know, because so many people, if you ask them why they're not a member of a church, they'll say, because my church, and then they'll list a problem. And I'm like, well, my church, and here's my problems, but I belong to that church and I'm a member and I'm in submission to those elders and I'm in submission to my small group there because I believe that this is obedience. It isn't about my opinion about the church. It's about my obedience to God. And I love our church, by the way. We have a great church, really healthy, amazing church, but we have an imperfect church like everybody else. Okay, so we did something kind of fun to end this episode. Chloe, my friend, is actually really good at creating Spotify playlists. Aren't you, Chloe? Yeah, I am pretty good at it. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have Spotify, we have a link in the show notes to some symphonies that I want you to go listen to outside right now. If you don't have Spotify, go somewhere and listen to, you can find them on iTunes. You can find them anywhere. And I want you to listen to some symphonies and see the delight and the beauty of something more complex than your brain can even handle. It, It will blow your mind if you haven't done this in a while. And I believe too, it will pierce your heart. If you are reading the Get Out of Your Head book with us, you don't want to miss next week. Make sure to read chapter 12. We are going to be talking about self-importance. 
Hey, I just want to say thank you because so many of you have really jumped into this community and you've listened to every episode and some of you are new and I just want to welcome you. And I'll tell you what, what has meant the most to us is you guys leaving reviews. We read every single one of them. And honestly, some of you guys have me in a little puddle crying because they are so meaningful. So thank you so much for doing that. And those of you that have been a part of this, go leave a review. I'm telling you, it means something. It means something to us, but it also means something to help other people find it and to know what it's about.